You got any ideas? Any, any requests? Man. All right. Well, welcome. I'm glad you are here this morning. And again, I want to reiterate, as Burke said, we want you to make sure that you are a part um, with us next weekend for our 40th anniversary celebration. We are going to have a great time Saturday and Sunday. So come and join us and celebrate um, not only what God has done, but what God is going to do as we move forward. So we've been in this series and we've been talking for the last, um, this is week six, about the book of Ephesians, and we've been in the first three chapters, and today we're going to kind of make this big turning point. Um, when I was at Preston Crest, and I'll kind of leave some names out because there are some people in the audience who used to go to Preston Crest. We've kind of developed a, a group from Dallas that have come here, um, I think because of me. That's the rumor. Um, that's why y'all moved, right, Gene? Yeah. Um, but I was on a trip with a group of kids. We went on wilderness trek. And we were driving through Texas, through the panhandle at some point, in our big bus. And one of the girls, and and let me say, I'm not a big fan of stereotypes, but if you could ever get the stereotypical cheerleader, blonde, high school student, this was her. And she calls me up to her seat, and she says, hey, Gary, come here. And so I move up there, and I sit down next to her, and I said, yeah, what's going on? She goes, hey, I'm going to play a prank on this trip on my brother, and I wanted to tell you about it. And we had had these conversations about things you should do and should not do, and I don't know why she felt compelled to tell me this. But she goes into this little plan that her and her friend have come up with, And she says, in my bag, I have a bottle of honey. And I'm going to pour it over the outside of my brother's tent so that the bears will come up and scare him. And there was this moment of utter dread... You can't do, the bears will kill them. No, no, no. They'll just kind of bat at the tent and play her. No, no, you do not understand. They will die. Really? Do you think maybe I shouldn't do it? And she opens up her backpack and she hands me one of the little honey bears full of honey. Wow. You you talk about something that could have been completely destructive to the trip we were on and to the lives of some people. And what was meant in all honesty and all sincerity in her eyes is just a funny little prank. I mean, you've seen the Parent Trap movie. You know what happens. And there was this sense in me when she handed me that honey. (sighs) 
I wonder if there are not times that things that happen in the life of a church that we see is maybe not such a big deal can become something that is so destructive that it's really difficult to recover from. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Ephesians this morning. If you want to turn there, if, you're, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. We've been talking about Ephesians and how it's kind of separated into two sections. You have one through three, where Paul is kind of laying out really his theology through a prayer. And then when you get to chapter four, there's kind of this turning point. And so he says, I therefore, and this is kind of what we've been saying is going to happen when we get to chapter four is therefore is going to show up. Based on everything we know, based on everything we understand, here's what Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And just leave that, that verse up there. Um, in the first half of the book, Paul talks about the importance of unity. And it's what Jesus was doing. And it's through the cross and through the resurrection that we have hope. But not just hope of a new self. It's hope of a new humanity. And what God is doing in this world is he's bringing all things together in unity under Christ Jesus. And to do that, he had broken down the dividing wall that separated Jew and Gentile, and he broke down the dividing wall that separated man from God. This is what he has done to bring unity to this world and the people who are following Jesus, or as the Revelation writer says that we talked about this last summer, the kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul has said, here is what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, not just creating a new self, not just creating a new you but creating a new humanity where the two have now become one. And so he says, here is your responsibility. My job, your job, is to maintain unity, not create it. Your job is to maintain unity not to create it. So many times we think about unity as something that we need to work to establish and put together. But what Paul is saying is Christ through his cross and resurrection has created that unity. You do not have to create it. And so what I need you as the church to do is you need to be 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Your job, my job, is not to create unity. It is to maintain the unity that has already been established in Christ. And so if unity, and and understand, Paul has spent this entire first part of the letter saying, here is what Jesus' death has done. Now here is the most important thing. Therefore, here's how you live. The very first thing he says is maintain this unity that Christ has created. Maintain the unity that Christ has already created. So if unity can be broken down, how then is it broken down? Because before we know what we need to do to protect it and maintain it, We need to understand what it is that causes the the fracture of unity. What causes the division and, and separation? What causes that unity to break down? And I think the simplest answer is sin. Sin is what fractures unity. Sin is what breaks down unity. And most of you say, well, yeah, yeah, sin is what breaks down unity. But I want us to kind of go deeper in this story. I want us to understand, several weeks ago, we talked about sin in the garden. And one of the biggest implications of sin in the garden, next to death, that's kind of a big deal, right? Wage of sin is death. You sin, you die. Kind of a big deal. I think the next biggest thing is this transition from oneness to otherness. That in the garden... Man and woman are one. That's how they were created. They were one with each other, and they were one with God. And when sin enters the world, they no longer see each other as one. They see another person. This other person who you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. It, It's this other person's fault. And so oneness was fractured. And now where there was one, there is now two. And not only were there two human beings, that no longer saw themselves as one, they felt the need to hide from their creator. And they did not see themselves one with him. They hid from him. And not only did they hide, because when you become really aware of who you are, the natural tendency is to cover it up. Because when you become really aware of who you are, and everything is out there, you are vulnerable. And when you become vulnerable, you have to cover it up so that people cannot see who you really are. And so there's this shift that happened in the garden and has continued to grow this divide from one to now two. 
And so what happens at this centerpiece of the cross in human history is that dividing wall that now had separated people for so long was broken down so that the two could once again become one. Now, your job, your job is to maintain that unity of the Spirit. You see, the story that we have always told is that through the cross, Jesus died for you, and now because of what Jesus did for you, God is less angry at you. But listen, there is a better story. It's the story that Paul has been telling this whole time. The the story that he is telling was you were created to be one with your creator and sin fractured that and separated it. And what Jesus' cross did sitting in the center of human history is it broke down that wall, that dividing wall that made one, two to reunite them with their creator, not just making a new person, not just saving you, but redeeming the world and offering the world the invitation to enter new life once again as one. That is a better story. That is what Christ on the cross did is he reunited you to your creator and he reunited you with one another and so work to maintain that unity in Galatians Paul is again talking about unity and what it means to be a unified people to be one and he says towards the end of chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I did before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So question. Do these things magnify otherness or create oneness? All the things that Paul talks about, all these sins that have a tendency to break down unity, do they magnify otherness or do they create oneness? Are they putting things back together the way they are supposed to be or are they still driving things apart? And then he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, 
for those of you who are following Jesus, for those of you whose God's Spirit lives within, for those of you who are trying to be like Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envy. So again, I ask the same question. Do the fruits of the Spirit magnify otherness or create oneness? See, the sin, what what happens with sin is it wedges itself into relationships and it fractures them and it pulls them apart and it magnifies that otherness I mean think about the list there are all the sexual um, references of immorality and, and desires of the flesh there are all of these references How many marriages in our country, how many marriages in our church are fractured because of the oneness that was intended was fractured by sin? How many churches in our world are fractured because of anger and jealousy and strife. But when there is this common spirit of love and patience and gentleness, when when that common spirit that fruit of the Spirit flows through the body, then oneness is being restored. Your job is to maintain that Spirit. So real quickly, a couple of things that come out of sin, I think in our churches that we have to be able to guard against. The first is disagreements. And disagreement is not a sin. It's not a sin to disagree with someone. The sin shows up many times in how we handle the disagreement. It shows itself in disagreements. Because disagreements, if I disagree with you, if you can put that slide up there, Dustin, because I don't... um, If I disagree with you, I will disrupt, disregard or disengage. If I disagree with you, I will disrupt, disregard, 
or disengage. And the problem comes because so many times what is needed is not the disruption and to disregard and to dis. What's needed is to two people, two people full of the fruit of the Spirit to love each other and value the relationship over simply being right. I mean, that would make a world of difference today in our politics, correct? If people could value the relationship with one another over the need to be right, to have a conversation. But what happens so often is if we disagree, we disrupt, we disregard, or we disengage. And it is detrimental to the church. It's detrimental. It can be one of those things in the life of the church that can be so destructive. And so Paul is warning them, here's how you live together. Based on everything Christ has done, here is how you live together. And the second way it plays out, I think, most of the time in churches is we distrust. We distrust. Because when we, and let me just be, be really honest, there are times when distrust is completely valid. Because someone has lied to us and hurt us, and they need to do some things to regain that trust. But what distrust tells us, if I distrust you, I can devalue you. That's what distrust teaches us. If I distrust you, I can devalue you. If I distrust you, your opinion does not matter to me. If I distrust you, I don't have to worry about what you're thinking. But here's what happens. Most of the time when we talk about um, distrust in churches, distrust often comes from poor communication, unmet expectations, or assumptions. Most of the time in our church, in our churches, distrust comes from poor communication, unmet expectations, or assumptions. I mean, think about it. It comes from an inability to communicate clearly or an inability to hear clearly. It comes from expectations that you place on someone else. It comes from expectations maybe that were never communicated in the first place. This is how I expected you to respond, and you did not do this, so now I do not trust you. And then it comes from assumptions. Well, obviously, if they believe this, then obviously they believe this. Or, I've seen their Facebook page. So through distrust and disagreements... I think sin has this place where it wedges itself into the relationships and fractures and splinters. And it works to magnify otherness rather than 
to create oneness. So your job is then to maintain. It says eager to maintain. I love that phrase. Like we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Like that's our goal. That's what we want to be as a church as we look forward to 2030. We're celebrating 40 years of a as a church being together. And for some of you, you have been here for a long time. A really long time. Um, I thought it was funny. (laughs) You have been here and you are committed to being a part of this church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for weathering some difficult storms. Thank you for sticking it out when you didn't know if you could. For others of you in a marriage that was crumbling, you stuck it out. And you said, no, what I said, that I would be with this person till death, thank you for sticking it out. And for... For others, if you are divorced, please do not say it's your fault. And I'm, I'm, try, I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just simply saying as a church, thank you for bearing with one another. Thank you for having patience. But to create... Because as we move forward, listen, the world is going to continue to magnify otherness. It's going to continue to try to separate. And it is all the more important that we as the church become more and more and more unified. That is our witness to this world, our unity, our love for one another. Listen, when people turn on the news and they see Westboro Baptist Church guess what? As a Christian, you get lumped into that. You don't believe what they believe. You aren't protesting and picketing, but yet you get lumped into that by a lot of people who do not know Jesus. The one thing that we do have that sets us apart from everything else that's going on in this world is that unity of the Spirit of Christ that lives within us. Maintain it. So how do we do that? If that's where those tendencies come from, if that's where sin enters into the relationship and wedges itself in often as disagreements and distrust, how do we put up fences? How do we protect against that in our life and in this world? I think... um, Paul gives us some great um, reasons or what defines us. Um, I think he would say simply, define the one thing that shapes everything. If you want to maintain unity, define the one thing that shapes everything else. One of the things our tradition did really early on in the movement 
was we got rid of creeds. And I'm not saying I would bring creeds back, but I think there's something really important that creeds do. A creed's purpose is to define for us what the non-negotiables are. It's to say, we believe this, 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 and as long as we're here together as one on these things, we can have disagreement with other things. And the problem is when you don't define what that is that's going to define who you are, everyone is free to use everything. There's a reason. We've had over 150 splits as a movement. There's a reason for that. And I think what Paul does is he gives these people in Ephesus a creed. I mean, really, this is what this is, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's define the one thing that's going to shape everything else. Let's define the things that we cannot, um, let's define those things that are non-negotiables. Let's define those things that we're all going to agree on. These are all things, if you're a partner with us at this church, we ask you to agree about. We want to be on the same page on these. He says, you are one body. We are the body of Christ. We are his church. We are of one spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives within us. We have one hope. It is that the gospel of Jesus is the power of salvation for you and I. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he too will raise you to new life. We have one Lord. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the Savior of the world. We have one faith faith that Christ is in this world to redeem the world, making two become one. We have one baptism, that is the baptism into Jesus Christ, as he has talked about throughout this letter, that we are baptized into his death, into his burial, into his resurrection, and just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise you. We have one God who is the Lord and creator of all We have one Father. We call him Abba, Father. And he is over all, through all, and in all. He was there in the beginning. He is here now, and he will be in the end. Paul says, here's what the one thing is. And there's several one things. Here's what the one thing is that shapes everything else. And if you can be here together, if you can agree about this, then do everything within your power to maintain the spirit of unity. Be eager to maintain that spirit. And he gives you some rules of engagement. I mean, that's really how the the section began. Here's how you're to behave with one another. Here's how you're to act with one another. Here's how you're to work out your disagreements and your distrust. Here's how you're to work when sin enters the picture. 
He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So real quick, I want to talk about your past, our present, and our future. See, my guess is that most of the anxiety, most of the hurt, most of the heartache that you have experienced in your life comes from fractured relationships. It comes when relationships are broken. Some broken by death, others just simply fracture. I also know that most of the joy and the hope and the love that you have experienced comes from relationships. Isn't it amazing that something as simple as a relationship can bring the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And my guess is there are some moments in your past that you would love to erase, that you would love to go back and do over, that you would love to have a second chance at. But here's the deal. We do not get that opportunity. The only opportunity that you get is to learn from it and move forward. Which brings us to the present. That we are here as the body of Christ. And all of us have our past. All of us have things that we are not proud of. All of us, at times, have done things that fractured unity. All of us have been a part of the problem. But all of us have also been a part of the solution. Because Jesus, what he has done is far greater than what you could do. See, you cannot work to create unity in the way that Jesus through the cross did. In your past, your worst moments are never as bad. They're never so bad that what Jesus' death and resurrection did cannot overcome them. And you have more in common with the people sitting around you than you ever imagined you did. You have been made whole. And that oneness that was fractured 
through Jesus has been restored. And if you just turn and look at the people sitting around you, every single person in this room who is in Christ shares that one thing. You have been restored and you have been redeemed. And beyond these walls, you have some things in common as well. That you were made, that everyone was made in the image of God, their creator. And everyone is loved by him and invited to experience life in him. That is what we know. And then our future. As we move forward as a church over the next several years, we carry and we share that exact same bond with one another. That in Christ Jesus, we have been made one. But there's a way that we have to learn to see the world. As we talk about being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you would take your mirror and just hold it out in front of you, facing away from you. See, when we talk about keeping and maintaining unity, most of the time we want other people to see their reflection. Because if they would change, and if they would get it right, then we could be one with each other. But oneness does not come simply from the other person having it right. If you would just flip your mirror. Unity, oneness, begins with the person looking right back at you. We all have a part to play in being eager to maintain that spirit by submitting to each other, by being humble with one another, by being gentle, by being patient. We eagerly look for the opportunity to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, here's the deal. Jesus died for the person looking right back at you. 
but Jesus died for the person looking right back at you so that you could be one with everyone sitting around you. And as we come to the supper, this feast that we take together, understand that the person sitting beside you is your brother or sister. The the person sitting beside you is loved more than they could ever know. And for some of you, you just need to hear that today. That God loves you more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever know. We are one. And so the men are going to head to the back during this song. As we sing this, it's a statement. It's a declaration that every single person has been given the same invitation to come to the table. It is the table of the Lord. And at the table of the Lord, We are all on equal ground. We are all together. We are all one. And as we take the cup and the bread this morning, and you pass it to the person to your right or to your left, I want you just to tell them, to remind them that we are one. Just tell them because sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Come to the table of men.